Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the Mindful Wealth Podcast. In this show, which is part two of the season one recap, Jonathan and I talk about some of the things that we see affecting true wealth. We talk about mindset, about social structures, and about how luck can affect people's capacity for success. Please enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Mindful Wealth Podcast. Stop financializing everything. What is true wealth? What's the right metric for success? Much of how we live presupposes that our incomes or spending is a good measuring stick. But can you really quantify success with a bank balance? Or should we include softer things like learning and love, generosity and gratitude, and happiness and well-being? There are a bunch of mindset things, and I do think it's, um, I think you and I have talked about it in, in our you know, opening episodes, about the idea of, and I think that we both fall in this category of, of generally, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I apologize for that, but uh, of generally, hey, whether or not there are structures in place that hold me down, I'm going to do whatever it takes um, to, you know, advance, to get better, to be, to improve both myself, my, my wealth, everything like that. Um, and there, I think that's mindset. I think that comes back to what um, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Brodsky talked about. Uh, it, it comes back to what Tom Shea talked about. Um, maybe, maybe after, maybe uh, Dr. Um, Dan Franz talked about, uh, you know, these things about how do you set up your mental ability regardless of what's around you, regardless of circumstances, regardless of situation, so that you can overcome or just enjoy the fruits if you're lucky enough to have, you know, uh, privilege as well. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the like who had a very strong argument on that was Arno. Um, yeah. And actually like, he, you know, his, his episode was a bit later on in the season, but like, as I went over it again, it like really some lights went on for me because I think you know, one of the arguments that he makes is that you can practice these kind of like warriorship tech techniques. So like, you know, work on your own mindset, um, work on your capacity to, main to be present and that that's going to have um, a lot of consequences for your own ability to perform, but that it ultimately ends up in the same place of connection. And to me, that was so fascinating because a certain amount of working on yourself inev inevitably forces you to have a, a relationship with a reality that puts you in contact with the outside world. And so just by default, as you're working on yourself, you become maybe more in tune with reality, more in tune with your community, more in tune with like the effects of your behavior. Um, and it seems to me that as a, a way of bringing together kind of the performance, you know, um, self-actualization aspect with how can you actually, you know, maybe do good and, and build connections with what you do. It seems to me that that was like, there were the links were like very strong there for me. It's, and so, I mean, just, just dovetailing on that a little bit, the idea of, uh, he brought up the idea of the connection to community, or you brought up the idea of connection to community coming out of that. Um, I would like to see some of that, like some of the uh, conversations about some of the things we can do as community. And, you know, I think about how I was raised was like self, family, um, neighborhood, community, nation, or maybe state, then nation, right? It's, it's sort of a, a, concentric, a concentric circles of effect. And so how do we, what are the actions we can take to support our family? What are the actions that we can take collectively to support our neighborhoods? And, and, then, and then just broaden out from there, how do we define community? Because I think that if we define it differently, then we end up with different outcomes. And, and yeah. you know, and just 
dovetailing off that further, I think one of the one of the beautiful things about looking at different countries and how they've done it is they all have different decisions and choices that they've made, definitions and choices that they've made to get to where they are, and we can see the outcomes. How, how do we how do we how do we measure them? Those outcomes, because it's really easy to say, I really like what happened in Denmark, but if you change that one thing in the United States, what are the you know what are yeah. the alternative things that change at the same time? I, I, you know that's hard to it's hard to it's hard to really measure the things that that will change alongside what is it unintended consequences it's hard to yeah. know at the outset what the unintended consequences are so someone that would talk about unintended consequences would be interesting as well yeah yeah but i love your uh, you know it's very confucian your idea of you know the the like the family yeah. and then the city and then the state and then you know everything kind of like functioning on a concentric circles and like a kind of a model that that ultimately you know should uh, should work together um it also just makes me wonder about you know maybe the uh mindset or the you know some of the 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 default settings that we might have grown up with that maybe are changing a little bit today and i feel like mm. one thing is this blind trust in the market um you know i was definitely raised with this idea that just you know leave it to the market and that's going to take care of everybody over the longer term and we don't really need to think about it too much um, I think that's, you know, an, an idea that's definitely come to question. And, then, and I think the other thing is, is the aspect of, you know, the, how self-focused we are with our goals versus how much we, um, think about the fact that, you know, that there's such a, like there's success of communities and what promotes success of families and what promotes success of some of these social connections that are ultimately more important to well-being. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that comes back to, and there's, there's a lot, there's a, there's a large conversation about the, how do we, you know, we measure our national progress through GDP uh, and GDP excludes home workers. It, it excludes um, basically a lot of the stuff that, that my, my spouse does, my partner does uh, in, in supporting my kids. Uh, it excludes a lot of things that, that my um, sister-in-law does in the classroom for her kids. Like it's, it just excludes an enormous amount of work that gets done. Uh, at the same time, it counts things like rebuild post-military conflict as a positive, right? And that's, it's just, it's an interesting take on how yeah. we measure success. And maybe it's, it goes all the way down to the measurements. Uh, um, and that's politics and economics. And it's, it's, it's everything sort of looped in together. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's, you know, definitely a good point of, of how, you know, let's say the metrics that we use or the explanatory models that we have. And if those metrics are reflecting, you know, a mindset from 50, 60 years ago, or if, you know, we're stuck in an Adam Smith conception of what uh, entrepreneurship is, you know, and I think that's one of the things that really came out of the, you know, the episodes with, um, let's say Lance Noble and talking yeah. about, let's say Facebook, and then a Bob Berg talking about, you know, his conception of, of what it means to like, what entrepreneurship means. And I think that like this, you know, Adam Smith kind of conception of a nation of shopkeepers, like yeah. if we have a mental model of business as so-and-so sh selling shoes to somebody else who's baking bread, like that's one conception of things. But when it becomes, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and your eyeballs being competed for and the algorithm and big data, like, is that really a nation of shopkeepers? And like, mm -hmm. is, you know, income generation really, is that tied really raising all ships when, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know if that that's the correct model with which to analyze a lot of the ec economic activity today. I mean, it's, it, it'd be interesting to look at sort of the history of economic development. You know, when you t we think about 
because it's 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 a very modern thing to think about happiness or think about well-being. You know, 30 years ago, pre crazy amounts of wealth. I mean, pre the insane inequality we see today. 80s. Yeah, the 80s, right? basically. Yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of nice that we can focus on these things. Uh, it's, it hasn't been an option before uh, because it wasn't really that bad of a deal. Um, so it'd be interesting to look at economic development pre-80s and economic development post-80s to see yeah. how the curves change and what the policies that are affecting the curves. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, also, you know, that, that maybe there's this widening gap of income distribution, because I think that's kind of also part of what leads to this, right, is that we are, you know, facing on the one hand an environmental crisis, and on the other hand, we're facing a crisis where, like, the, the gap between which rich and poor is, is growing, maybe not because the poor are doing necessarily worse, but because the extreme rich are accruing, like, a ridiculous amount of, you know, right. whatever resources, and that those are somewhat new problems, or at least we're aware of them in a new way, and it forces us to have different mental models with which to think through what we're doing, really. And- I mean, it's, it's, you know what? I lost the thought. I had a great thought. I was going to add, I was going to be so additive right there. And it's <laughs> that's the, I think that's the booster coming through. That's what that is. Um, uh, uh, so, so there's something actually I wanted to talk about. And that was, that was, I wanted to get back to, or, or I want to discuss more the luck factor. Um, and then the psychology around deny luck denial. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it is almost a whole category of itself. Um, and I let see me just it. like, Jonathan, let me just at the risk of like stopping you there. Can, yeah. What do you mean by luck exactly? Because you do talk about luck a lot, but can you define for me exactly what you mean when you say luck? So there's, uh, let's, let's just put two people side by side and two people side by side, make the same decisions, um, you know, work hard, show up early, work late, um, are really smart, contact a similar demographic of people in my own industry. And one person happens to, so, so my, my, the class, the training class I started with, with Dean Witter in 1996, um, there was 400 of us in the training class. We all went to, uh, you know, training in Weehawken, New Jersey. We all started at the same time. We all, you know, launched at the same time within two years, only, only probably four of us were left in the class. Um, and I, I'm probably the one out of my class that, uh, ended up being, as successful as I've been in terms of being in the industry. Other people left and did something else. I don't know anything about what they did afterwards, right? So what is it? I would love to say, yeah, I showed up earlier. I worked harder. I uh, contacted more people. I know that's not true because I worked next to about 10 other people in my class and I know how hard they worked. I know they showed up earlier. And I, so luck is the, I made one call that was different than them. I made one that I, but I connected with somebody else in a different way, but that wasn't me that did that. I didn't earn that in any way. So luck is the thing that enabled me to boost myself when other, other people weren't there to do it. But do you, I mean, do you really believe that? Because, you know, for me, I don't, and I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know exactly where I read this, but um, I read this kind of analogy of um, this or an explanation of luck, let's say. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think they were talking about somebody who like, you know, always stands under a particular place with their hands open, right? And like, let's say you have somebody who gets up every single morning and stands like this underneath the gutter, right? And like on day one, it doesn't rain. On day two, it doesn't rain. On day three, it doesn't rain. But like on day four, it pours and their hands get filled up. Okay, so every single day they made that decision to go stand under the gutter and like, was it luck that it rained on day four or is it just statistically that if you consistently always make the right decisions 
that something accrues to you versus like someone who goes and stands in the garage like this and complains, oh, well, why is that guy standing under the gutter lucky? Well, are they really lucky? Or are they doing, is there something that they're doing that maybe you haven't accounted for that's creating that? I mean, I don't know if I really believe in that kind of luck. That's why I wanted you to define it, you know? So I, I think the reality is there's, there's no way to determine it. Like there's, I, no one has the exact same structure of conversation, the exact same work ethic, the exact same, you know, background, the exact same, um, you know, uh, messages they received as they were kids. It, no, no one has this. No, there's that, that would be the same people if they did. Right. So there's going to be differences in the way, in everyone's approach. Um, so, but it does, it does seem like, and I would love, I mean, and this, this is the bias, the bias in me tells me, you know, you did this. Right. And, and okay, great. I, but then I have to ask myself the question, did I, and um, something my, my father-in-law said once said, um, he's been very successful and he doesn't, he doesn't claim that it's all on him. Like he doesn't claim that he's, uh, he's the source of all the success. Uh, he said, you know, I learned, I, I, I got a great education. That wasn't me. That was my teachers, whatever I got. Um, my parents loved me, right. They stayed married my whole life. That was luck that had nothing to do with him. Um, or maybe it did. We don't know. He doesn't know. Um, my, you know, I ended up at the right firm. That's one of the things we see today is you see, if you end up at company, if in late nineties, you ended up at company A versus company B and company B went public, that's luck. That's not, you didn't, you didn't say, yeah, I'm going to join Google because Google's going to be, you know, 25 years from now going to be the most powerful company on earth. No one said that or Facebook or Microsoft. They thought, Hey, you know, I'm going to join this firm and I got lucky. So there's, there's a lot of things that line up. And it's not that, you know, I interviewed at Google and I interviewed at this other place and I'm going to choose the job at Google because I know the outcome there, right? Um, it's difficult to say that it's all because of my own decisions, my own choices, my own work ethic. Well, sorry. No, I, mean, I think, no, but I, th I mean, I think, I think the answer is that it's not, right? But like, I guess, and this is why, like, I wanted you to define luck because to me, like luck is what, how I would define luck the kind of luck I believe exists is the accident of birth luck. Oh, okay? sure. Huge. Which means like, okay, you know, why are you and I sitting here having this conversation on Zoom in our very comfortable houses? Like, yes, right. you know, maybe like everyone, the predicted outcome from someone from our socioeconomic status would be this. And like, maybe we just, you know, did a little bit better or maybe we did a little bit worse. Like that's one thing, but there's, you know, the, this kind of like accident of birth, you know, you're a white man, I'm a white woman, like that then comes with certain other things. So, you know, and you, you're never going to be able to parse that out entirely of the things that you were, were able to do. Right. But I mean, luck in the sense of that, okay, you decide to like undertake this specific thing. And I guess like, you know, for me, the, the analogy with luck becomes like, uh, this, like my sports life. Right. And so like that it's, it's very clear that people have genetic advantages, right? Like some people are very strong. Some people are very quick. Some people have like a morphology that, you know, allows them to be good at specific sports. But it's not true that someone who's able to consistently rise to the top of that sphere, it's definitely not all luck. Because I've seen the girls come in at like, you know, people have talent when they start. And then 10 years later, who's standing on the top of the podiums? Like, you won't get there unless you have good genetics, but you certainly won't get there without a lot of hard work. So I would, I would never say that luck is the sole determinant. Yeah. My, my question is, isn't, isn't, you know, 
because I know I have all these blessings. I know I've been luck, you know, birth, um, but there are such, there are such, and we talked about this actually, who do we talk about this with? We talked about this with, um, it was actually one of the more recent ones. Maybe it was, maybe it was Bob Berg. Um, we talked about. Yeah, it was. I remember right? you, we talked about the idea that's, with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, what was it? What was the argument? What did we talk about with Bob? Do you remember? Um, well, I, I mean, I remember, I know that because this theme of luck, uh, it's yeah. something that comes back with, uh, like up with you, because I think this is one of the questions that you have. And so I, yeah. I, don't, I feel like you asked Bob some version of that question, you know, yeah. uh, how much of this, of this do you think is, um, you know, how much of, of go giving, like how yeah. much of the right. go takers, how come did luck put the go takers at the top? And, you know, how is that different? Right, from right, 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 right. It takes up the, the, the initiative as a go giver. Um, and Bob's answer was, that even the go takers who look like they got lucky are in some way providing value. Yeah, and they're and they're working. I, I think what he said was they have to work really, really, really hard to get the same outcome that a go giver would get. Yeah. Harder yeah. than because because they're selfish because that's ultimately visible and people know that. Um, I apologize for the noise. There's stuff happening upstairs. Um, <coughs> home life, uh, but I I just absolutely know that luck has some part of it. And I just, I, I, I'm questioning how much of the outcomes come from luck. How much can I move the needle by just working harder or by, mm -hmm. you know, working on myself, you know, self-improvement stuff. How, how much can I move the needle? And there's the point at which you just got to stay consistent and you got to, you got to put in the reps, you know, and, and it's absolutely true that those people that do put in the reps, if they keep doing it and they're 10 years later, 15 years later, if it's athletics or if it's business or if it's relationships yeah. or whatever yeah. it is, you put in the reps, you can get more successful. You can yeah. improve. Yeah. But and it's and it's not just like, I mean, I, I know I keep coming back to the sports analogy, but it's because it's very clear there. Right. And it's not just about gym time, because there's lots of people who have been in the gym for 10 years and are not at the top of the podiums. Like some of it, a lot of it has to do with with what goes on up here oh, yeah. and with how you, you know, reframe your losses, how you you know, adopt a growth mindset, how you question stuff you're doing, how you make changes when you're doing something and it's not working. Right. So there's, I mean, there's like an immense baggage of things that goes on top of genetics. I mean, but then again, like if you, if you, to me, I would qualify that as luck, right? Like the, the birth lottery, like who wins certain things in the birth lottery? Like, you know, you, you're not going to end up winning the Olympics unless you got, you got pretty lucky in the birth lottery. So, so it's, I, I'm, I'm reflecting on your question, Jonathan, you bring up luck a lot. Why is that? It's why is that? Please define it. Why is that? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? It's interesting. I think I figured it out. So I grew up in South Dakota. I grew up Lutheran. Um, Lutheran is like next to Catholicism in terms of how much guilt you have applied to you. <laughs> um, and so we were not successful. And I was, and I was sort of, we, we, you know, the parable of the rich man and the, and the eye of the needle, right? Um, uh, yeah. Wealth was not looked at as something positive. It was looked at as something, ah, it's not true either. It was something positive, something we strive for, but it wasn't wealth for wealth's sake. It was wealth for your family, wealth for, you know, care of the community, all those kinds of things. And so we do see right now a lot of wealth. Um, and I, I feel like I have achieved and I feel like I am, I feel guilty for that. So mm. part of my mm -hmm. wanting to talk about luck mm -hmm. is because I want to recognize that it's not all me. And so I got here and I did work hard and those things are all true, but I was also lucky. And maybe the lucky portion, as you say, is birth lottery, but I've also worked side by side with people and I have 
you know, I've got two or three different study groups in my industry that I, that I talk with and I'm really successful even compared to those groups. And they're, we're all doing roughly the same stuff. And so because of that, it's got, it has to have some portion of luck. It's not just what I'm doing or how I'm doing it or who I am. It's, it's some portion of luck in there. I don't know how to, I don't know how to define the attribution. I don't know how to make it, put a percentage on it, but I know it's there. And it's, I think <laughs> so the reason funny, I'm asking Jonathan. the question is guilt. That's why I'm asking the question. Yeah. Well, but but let's, nobody we, means- we need to talk about people that, that we need to talk about that. I need to bring somebody yeah. in to, to assuage yeah. my guilt. Yeah. No, but Jonathan, like I, and I do, you know what? I do think that that's, like relevant in a kind of a way, because, you know, a lot of the, the way that, you know, talk about, you know, inequality and the way in which uh, the pursuit of wealth has like negative consequences. I think one of the risks of that is to kind of make people feel guilty about their success. Yeah. And I don't know that that's really very positive, you know, like, I I don't know how, how much we got into the, that discussion with Adrian, um, if we didn't get into him, get into it with him, maybe we should have him on again to, to poke him on that. But I know like him and I have a lot of conversations about this, that, you know, there's a lot of um, ways in which c- current discourse tries to make people, successful people, like feel guilty about their success. Right. Yeah. And I mean, in a sense, being aware of the consequences of your actions and then being able to modify them. I think that's important. Being aware of the way in which the system might be creating inequalities so that we can address them. I think that's super important. But if that then becomes a way in which, you know, embarrassment or um, hiding some of the things that you did to be successful or feeling bad or feeling like you need to cover it up, I don't think that that's doing anybody's any favors, right? right. Like, I, I think that, that, you know, there's an, an if guilt pushes you to be better and to contribute more then it's it's a worthwhile emotion but if it's something that it makes you feel like maybe i just shouldn't strive so much because what will people say or maybe i need to kind of you know hide what i'm doing because i don't want to appear too successful i'm not sure that that's really you know socially helpful necessarily right and there's probably a there's probably a, a continuum there like uh some guilt okay too much guilt not good um and then Guilt internally felt might be okay. You know, guilt applied from outside probably is not so good. Um, I don't know. And this is, we don't have to spend many episodes delving into my own psychology. <laughs> if we do, we have to do the same thing for you. Uh, so I don't, I'm not sure, uh, you know, what, what your no, no. foibles are. No, but I, I don't, but Jonathan, like, I'm not sure that it's, I'm not sure that it's a foible. It's like I say, you know, like this, this conversation comes up often yeah. with my brother because he's in a you know, circle of, of other successful tech entrepreneurs. And there's this kind of a, a real you know, hate that society has on people who are successful in that sphere right now because of the immense financial benefits that accrue to them. But you know, again, in, in watching that episode with my brother, again, like if you can point to something that he's doing that's socially destructive, like good luck, right? right. Like the money right. that he takes, he invested in you know, a, a tech health initiative in Africa and his software is to help healthcare. Like if if there's something destructive about that, I don't know what it is. For, yeah. And it's, so, so that goes back to Karen Ho. We make choices. And so it's great that your brother can be very successful and give, give money back. And it's, it's good that you do the same. It's good that I do the same. It's good that wealthy people do that. Right. But should they be the ones to determine how that money gets spent and, and, and the issues that need to be solved? This is a big issue that I hear, yeah. I hear talked about all the time regarding Bill Gates, huge foundation, but he gets to pick what gets solved and what doesn't get solved. Yeah. He gets to pick where it gets solved and where it gets ignored. And that's maybe that's maybe one of the fundamental issues is 
going back to Karen Ho's choices, if we have uh, uh, a better sense of collective desire to fix this problem, then maybe we will collectively be more open to being taxed so that we can collectively make these things better. But then you know, we, we end up in these factions and just battling about stuff rather than saying, okay, what's really important here? And getting to the bottom of what's important, what are we trying to accomplish and what are the best ways to do it? Uh, and then we just, we just fight instead of, instead of actually trying to solve yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part, part of the answer has to be data. Right. And I think like with the example that comes to mind to me is just, you know, let's say the amount of money that gets thrown at, uh, you know, malaria, given that it's, I think one of the biggest worldwide killers of children versus money that gets pushed on. I mean, like pick something else. I don't know, like, you know, breast cancer research or like something else like that, that affects, I mean, breast cancer affects a lot of people, but you know, if you look at like these much more niche, uh, health problems that affect a rich population. And as a result, every small advancement you make on that, the amount of money that gets thrown at that issue versus the amount of money that gets thrown at malaria, like it's just not the same amount of resources. And somewhere there's a decision being made that one problem, you know, money-wise is more important than the other. And, and so more resources get directed there. And I think, I know, I think you're absolutely right that how we make those decisions of like what we allocate, what problems we allocate resources to solve you know, that's a, that's a, a big issue. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, it's funny because at, at the same time you get like a lot of media attention or, or you get uh, star power behind a specific issue. And, you know, you know, some, some uh, Hollywood actor comes out in support of XYZ charity and suddenly XYZ charity is just inundated with money and they don't do, they don't do anything that's like super important, but it's this person's passion. Right. And, and that gets kind of, it gets kind of absurdist. Like we're, we're supporting, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything bad about any specific charity, but we're putting all kinds of resources behind this one thing when there's these really important, deeply seated problems that we're just not ignoring, yeah. but that don't get any resources. So. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I just listened to a podcast with, I think it was a Jordan Peterson and I don't, I'm not going to remember the guest that he had on, but it was, uh, it was like specifically on that issue. Like they were going through, you know, some of the, like the, the hot button issues of like, you know, indicators that have made society better or made society worse. And the, the way in which we allocate resources to address one problem or another. Um, and I think that's, I mean, that's, it's, it's like, it's a huge discussion and it has like the impact of it is just massive. So that, I mean, that speaks to one of the guests we should have on. We need to get yeah. Jordan, Jordan Peterson on here because wow. <laughs> he does, he does say data. He does go to the data. Yeah. He goes, let's, let's, yeah, this is a great argument, but let's look at the data and see what the data yeah. says. And the data says this and this, and this is more important than that and that and that. And well, okay, that we should listen to the data then. I mean, that's yeah. one of the things we see is so many arguments that are, that, that are just based on fantasy that aren't based on yeah. data. In fact, yeah. going back to some of the inequality numbers, it's um, one of the most frustrating things that I run into when you think about this inequality uh, specifically wealth inequality and income inequality is the source of the data. Cause there's four or five different primary sources of wealth and income inequality. And if you just think about a simple example, is the number that the person's quoting pre-tax or post-tax? If it's pre-tax, they're not even including all the stuff that we've, we've already, we've already solved for, we've already applied taxes and redistribution. Mm -hmm. You can't analyze it pre-tax because mm -hmm. we already have solutions in place and you're not counting those as potential yeah. solutions, right? Um, when you talk about it, you know, some people use individual data, some people use household data. If you look at individual data, it gets pretty ugly. When you look at household data, it's not quite as ugly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the data sources and people's ability to really understand the source of statistics and the source of data. Yeah. Um, and someone to talk about data analysis and, and just statistics. I mean, we are so bad at understanding statistics. Uh, and if we got a little bit better at that, we would be, I think, 
less abhorrent of each other. Uh, because, you know, I use these statistics, you use these statistics, we're going to disagree, but that's because our statistic choice is different. Yeah. yeah. Not because yeah. we disagree on outcomes or disagree on what we want. It's just, we're using different numbers. We don't even, we can't agree on what's real. That's the, you know, that's fundamental. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, uh, um, I, I think we're pretty close to wrap on this. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Awesome.